Hello, my friends. Donald Trump has announced an immigration moratorium. That comes from the Latin word for death. He's just going to shut it down to zero. And a U.S. poll says that 80% of Americans agree with him. Hey, what do you think the stats would be up here in Canada? Well, before I get to the monologue, let me invite you to become a subscriber to Rebel News Plus. That's what we call our stuff behind the paywall. It's the video version of this podcast, plus a podcast uh, video from Sheila Gunn-Reed, her weekly show, and a weekly show by David Menzies. It's only eight bucks a month. That's two bucks a week. That is pennies a day. And you can get it at rebelnews.com. Okay, here's today's show. Tonight, Donald Trump declares a moratorium on immigration. It's April 21st, and this is The Ezra Levant Show. Why should others go to jail when you're a biggest carbon consumer I know? There's 8,500 customers here, and you won't give them an answer. The only thing I have to say to the government about why I publish it is because it's my bloody right to do so. Last night at around 10 p.m., Donald Trump just decided to tweet this. In light of the attack from the invisible enemy, as well as the need to protect the jobs of our great American citizens, I will be signing an executive order to temporarily suspend immigration into the United States. Well, there's a bit of news. It was a surprise, but not a shock. Trump has made restricting immigration part of his platform since he ran for the Republican nomination. Precious little of the wall with Mexico has been built, and our friend Joel Pollack repeatedly tells me that's because the Democrat-dominated Congress always foils his plans. I don't know. I've grown a bit skeptical of Trump on that one. Um, As well, Jared Kushner, uh, other high-ups around Donald Trump. I think there's too many Wall Street banker types in the administration. Those are people from the class who have an economic stake in unfettered immigration, open borders. Real estate developers who like people buying houses, mass immigration, bankers, global companies looking for cheap labor. I'm worried that Trump's announcement, which given the fact that it was done at 10 p.m. on Twitter, suggests maybe it wasn't really workshopped through the regular channels. I'm worried it might be watered down by the open borders folks in his administration. There certainly are some of them. But at least right now, it's a bold announcement. And by the way, it would be by far the most popular thing he's ever done as president. By far. Uh, Here's a poll by the Reuters news agency, hardly a conservative organization. About eight in 10 support drastic steps on immigration, imposing mandatory quarantines for people who have traveled to any other country and temporarily stopping immigration from all other countries. Well, in my view, that first ship has pretty much sailed. Trump did restrict flights from China way back in January, which is universally regarded as having reduced the number of virus deaths in America and bought the U.S. more time. Quarantines are a good idea, too. Even lazy open borders Justin Trudeau has finally brought in quarantine measures to Canada, pretty much the last country in the world to do so. But the second part of the poll there, stopping not just visitors, but all immigration, that's something supported by 80% of people, 80%. Here's the actual poll document itself from Ipsos. Look at question six there. 
What should the government do? 92% of people want access to the virus tests. I think that's a really good idea. That would allow us to deal with people who are sick differently than how we deal with people who are healthy. And right now, 99% of us are healthy, but we're being all quarantined together as if we're all sick. That's not how a quarantine is supposed to work. And a test would not just set the rest of us free, but it would allow us to focus our resources to give actual help to the people who really need it. Anyways, you can see travel quarantines are on the list there too. And as you can see, that's up to 81% support from 60% just last month. But look at that, look at that. Temporarily stop immigration from all other countries, 79%. Now, Donald Trump's partisan approval, according to the daily Erasmussen poll, uh, clocked in at 46% yesterday. Usually hovers between there and around the 50% mark. So the fact that he's still in the 40 to 50, 55 zone with plus or minus, despite the worst crisis to hit America since, I don't know, the Vietnam War, since the Second World War, it's remarkable. Not only the deaths and the fear from the virus, but 20 million plus unemployed Americans. It's actually stunning that he's still holding on to the approval ratings he has. I think people watch his daily briefings and they see that he's doing his best, making good decisions, is actively engaged, is working seven days a week, and he seems to be doing the right things, often while Democrats play games, and, and they really are. I mean, here's Nancy Pelosi, the de facto leader of the Democrats, going on a late night talk show from her multi-million dollar mansion. And by the way, those fridges behind her they cost about $24,000. Take a look at this for a second. Oh, my. Wow. Other people in our family go for some other flavors, but chocolate, and then we have some other chocolate here. <laughs> See, I've always felt a connection with you, and now I understand why. Mm -hmm. Since you've been uh, isolating in your house, how much uh, of, your, of your regular diet do you think is ice cream and candy? Well, um, as much as possible, uh, it is, uh, it, 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 I enjoy it. I like it better than anything else. That was what Pelosi was doing as she was blocking Trump's plans to send Trump bucks to everyone, you know, a quick $1,200 check to every American. Of course, Pelosi wants to block that. I understand uh, the checks would actually have Trump's signature on them. Of course, she would hate that. That's supposed to be a Democrat move, giving people free money. You know, Trump actually consulted with Andrew Yang, the quirky former Democrat presidential nominee who proposed universal income. It was a move to appeal to the left, and Nancy Pelosi knows it. So she blocked it as best she could. And look at the Republican ad that was just rolled out yesterday about that. This is just absolutely brutal. We turn now to that $350 billion fund to help small businesses and its workers get through the shutdown. It will be up to Congress to restock it. But Democrats blocking that move this morning. They asked for a quarter of a trillion dollars in 48 hours. I said, well, I don't, I don't think so. They objected. And I congratulate the Senate Democrats. Speaker Pelosi, what are you going to share with us from your home? Chocolate candy. Thousands have been forced to wait for hours at food banks all across the country. This is oh my chocolate, and then we have some other chocolate here. We just got it restocked the ice cream. You don't want to eat up everything all at one time. I can't do it much longer. I'm trying so hard. We were, do we say, enjoying? Having to admit that, yeah, we're, 
super starving and I like it better than anything else. Taping this segment, there are 22 million people out. Of this work. specific program <laughs> is about stopping job losses today. This is hurting people bad. Other people in our family go for some other flavors, but right now it's survival move. You don't know where that next something else is gonna come from. I don't know what I would have done if ice cream were not invented. I just wonder. <laughs> Nancy Antoinette. It's a bit amazing that a billionaire, an ostentatious guy like Donald Trump, has better grassroots working class sensibilities than the Democrats, who claim to be the party of working people. But the fact is, it's tough out there, and Trump knows it. 20 million Americans looking for work, and we have the equivalent proportion in Canada, too. About one-tenth that. I'm not sure when the official unemployment stats come out, but I presume we're going to be at around 20% unemployment, and it will be much worse in places like Alberta, where the price of oil has effectively fallen to zero. Now, that's a f obviously a function of supply and demand. Uh, America has been producing record amounts of oil from fracking, but then all of a sudden the world pushed pause on all sorts of economic activity, including driving and flying, which is where a lot of petroleum goes to. At the same time, OPEC and Russia were just giving her on production. So the price, price of oil plummeted because there's literally more oil every day than everyone wants. We've had that problem in Alberta for a few years because Trudeau and his cronies have simply blocked pipelines. So there's a glut. But for the U.S., this is just a huge overproduction problem. By the way, Trump has a plan for that, too. Based on the record low price of oil that you've been seeing, it's uh, at a level that's very interesting to a lot of people. We're filling up our national petroleum reserves, strategic, you know, the strategic reserves. And we're looking to put as much as 75 million barrels into the reserves themselves. That would top it out. That would be first time in a long time it's been topped out. We'd get it for the right price. Makes sense as a way to sop up some of that extra oil supply to save jobs in the American oil and gas sector. And Trump knows the maxim, buy low, sell high. Pretty basic. If you could buy 75 million barrels of oil right now at next to nothing and be patient enough to hold on to it till the price rebounds, I mean, wouldn't you do that too? Do you see what I mean? Trump is working. He's working on everything. People see that. And he's using his businessman's brain. Trudeau doesn't have that brain. But the immigration moratorium, in the way... And wait, it's the same issue as the oil problem. It's supply and demand. Here's a statistic courtesy of Breitbart. Take a look at this. For four decades, the United States has been as admitted between 525,000 to 1.8 million legal immigrants annually, the majority of which immediately enter the workforce to compete against Americans for working class jobs. Well, that's the thing. Just like the price of oil has plunged, because of too much supply and too little demand, well, you've now got 22 million unemployed American citizens right now. Talk about huge labor supply, so the price of that labor has fallen, demand is low. Why would you then bring in a half a million or a million foreign laborers now to add to the oversupply of labor just to undercut American wages even more by working for cheap? And of course, that's just the legal immigration numbers. There's lots of illegal immigration there too. You'll note that those numbers sound high. Here's the official stats for US immigration on an annual basis. It's about a million a year. 
and has been for about two decades, whether it was President Barack Obama or Republican George W. Bush, the last time it was significantly lower was under Ronald Reagan. A million migrants a year, plus illegals. Well, I gotta tell you, that's nothing. That's nothing. Because of course, we have one-tenth the population of the US, so you'd think our immigration would be one-tenth theirs, right? 100,000 a year? No, no, no. It's more than triple that. And even during this crisis, when Service Canada workers have basically decided to go on strike, they still continue to process immigration applications to this day. Here's a story from just a couple weeks ago in the Financial Post. The department continues to accept and process applications throughout the period of these temporary measures. Kevin Lemke, a spokesman for Mendocino, that's the immigration minister, said by email. Immigration has and will continue to be critical to Canada's long-term success as we work to recover from the economic headwinds we are facing due to the coronavirus. Following past downturns, says the Financial Post, international migration levels have tended to rebound quickly, aided by a broad political consensus. The inflows are good for the country. Really, eh? A broad political consensus. Now, I suppose it's true. Andrew Scheer absolutely caved on the issue of immigration levels in the last election, and literally his only answer to the question on how much migration is good is, well, whatever Trudeau wants. Remember this cringeworthy exchange? But you still didn't give a number, and you would have to set a target as government. Mm -hmm. that, that's part of your job, is to set a government, so if it, a level. So if the target right now is 350,000 immigrants by 2021, is that about what you're looking at? Or I think no? that's reasonable, yeah. And, and again, as long as that's coming from, from facts, from evidence, from uh, a look at the situation and an understanding of where our society has needs, then absolutely. <laughs> Imagine going on a show with a state broadcaster, the government journalist, Rosemary Barton, who is personally suing your party. She sued the Conservatives in the last election and allowing her to pressure you into blurting out some immigration policy on the spot. You know, Andrew Scheer had managed to not come up with any statement during the entire campaign about immigration levels. And he literally made it up right there on the spot because he felt some peer pressure from some journalist and he wanted some relief from 60 seconds of discomfort. So yeah, I guess it's true. Other than the fact that Canada's most popular premier, at least until the virus crisis, was Francois Legault, who ran on an explicit campaign promise to reduce immigration to Quebec by 20%. I remind you that in real Canada, 90% of Canadians either want immigration numbers to stay the same or fall. Now that's different from a moratorium, which Trump is proposing. A moratorium comes from the word die, to absolutely be cut to zero. But I imagine if a pollster in Canada were to ask the moratorium question fairly, the answer would be similar, especially after 20% unemployment sinks in for a few months. But that's what's been so odd about Trudeau's response. He really isn't in charge of much during the pandemic. I mean, healthcare is a provincial matter. Trudeau doesn't have any hospitals under his command. No nurses or doctors work for Trudeau, other than that WHO lobbyist 
Theresa Tam, literally Trudeau's only job was to watch the borders at airports and at Roxham Road. He failed both miserably and he absolutely seems dead set on continuing open borders immigration, at least according to his immigration minister spokesman. And you know the media party completely agrees. Now we'll see if the U.S. moratorium sparks a debate in our country about open borders immigration too. I'm skeptical because the entire political class other than Quebec is in lockstep on it. Do you really think Peter McKay or Aaron O'Toole would dare to oppose open borders even now? I don't. What media would? <laughs> none, at least none that take Trudeau's bailout, but we'll see. Trudeau often does the exact opposite of Trump just to spite him. When Trump brought in his first limited immigration moratorium in 2017, targeting various terrorist countries, well, that's when Trudeau wrote this on Twitter. To those fleeing persecution, terror, and war, Canadians will welcome you, regardless of your faith. Diversity is our strength. Welcome to Canada. And he then opened up Roxham Road. It was a pouty rejoinder to Trump. Ironically, it meant 50,000 of America's worst people. And by that, I mean people who had been ordered out of the country, bogus refugees who have had their claims rejected in the States, and literal criminals. They simply walked in from New York State to Quebec and then on to Toronto or wherever. But hey, nice tweet, bro. Maybe we'll see the same after Trump's executive order comes. Maybe Trudeau will double down on open borders, go even further. We'll see. Back in January 2017, Trudeau himself was still new enough that was before his blackface revelations, before he fired Jody Wilson-Raybould, before he shut down the oil and gas industry, when the economy was still strong enough, when unemployment was still low enough, before the virus and before 20% unemployment. I'm not sure if open borders immigration will work now though. Stay with us for more. Well, we've been privileged to talk to the next expert about China matters for years, but now I turn on the TV, I see him everywhere. He's become America's go-to expert for all matters regarding China. You probably know who I mean. It's our friend Gordon Chang, who you can follow on Gordon G. Chang on Twitter. Gordon, great to see you again. Thanks for jamming us in. I really am glad that the world is seeking your point of view on China, given how so much of the diplomatic establishment is pro-Beijing. I'm glad you're out there as a counterpoint. Oh, you're so generous, Ezra, and, and I'm so pleased to be on your show, so thank you. Well, thanks very much. Let me get to some news, because holy cow, the last few days have been packed with it. First of all, let me ask you about reports that seem to be walked back a little bit that Kim Jong-un, the dictator of North Korea, fell ill from the virus. Do you have any news on that? Well, people are saying that foreign doctors, either from China or from Europe, brought the coronavirus to Kim Jong-un. And that's really possible because those doctors were supposed to come to North Korea about um, February or so. Um, but it's clear that Kim is suffering right now because he didn't show up for the most important day in North Korea's calendar, which is April 15th, the Day of the Sun, which commemorates the birth of his grandfather, Kim Il-sung. You know, Kim loves a microphone, so uh, for him be, to be a no-show indicates something is really wrong. So I tend to believe that there is a serious health 
issue. Of course, you know, we won't know for quite some time. But I don't think that the Chinese and the South Korean reports downplaying what's going on are quite accurate. Uh, I know that uh, there's a lot of intrigues there and even family assassinations or unpersoning. Uh, do you know who might be the heir apparent if Kim were to die? Would it be some military general? Would it be a family member? Is it clear at all who his successor is? Well, there would be a family member in the mix. And the reason is that the regime needs the Pektu bloodline, as it's called. That's for legitimacy. Mm -hmm. um, you know, Kim's younger sister, Kim Yo-jong, um, is generally considered to be the most capable of Kim Jong-il's children. And, and that really means that she's probably got uh, the, the, at least the lead uh, lane right now for uh, taking over. I mean, she's ruthless from what we can tell. And, and that's an indication that she's got what it takes to survive in a very stressful environment. So um, th the problem has always been for her that in a Confucian-tinged regime, you've got to be a male. But mm -hmm. I think she's going to end up at least being the regent and maybe even the power itself. Last question. Oh, sorry, go ahead. No, no, it's fine. I was going to ask one last question on North Korea, and then I want to move around the region a little bit. Uh, I don't know how much Donald Trump genuinely got in return for his normalization with Kim Jong-un, but would any successor likely be more hardline or more liberal, do you think, or is it just impossible to tell at this stage? You know, Ezra, I would think more hardline because um, being anti-U.S. is just inherent in the nature of the regime. And so... Um, you know, a young leader is uh, or new leader is going to have to um, prove that they are really North Korean. And, and I think that it means that um, that whoever shows up uh, and, and is the next leader of North Korea, if it's soon, um, is, is going to have to really take a very tough position on the United States. Hmm. Very interesting. Well, let's move down to Hong Kong now. Uh, it was almost lost in the international news shuffle of the last week that police in Hong Kong arrested very many senior democracy organizers. I, obviously, I don't know the names of all of them, but even I knew the names of some of the senior uh, Democrat activists who've been at it for decades. Martin Lee, if I'm not mistaken, was the name of one of them. Uh, yes. We interviewed him when we sent reporters to Hong Kong last year. These are very prominent people. Uh, why do you think China is moving on them now? Is it because they want to show strength in their own domain? Or is it because they're taking advantage of the world's distraction or both? Yeah, I, I think it's actually taking advantage of uh, the world's distraction. I mean, we've seen Beijing do some really strange things recently. So, for instance, uh, there have been provocations in both the East China Sea and South China Sea. And it's not just Japan and Taiwan. They've also gone after Vietnam, Indonesia, and their good friend, Malaysia. And you had a Chinese diplomat uh, talk about China actually absorbing Kazakhstan into the People's Republic. This is just stunning stuff. Um, so I think that essentially you've got uh, a political system that is off the rails in Beijing in terms of only the hardline solutions are politically acceptable. Um, plus, uh, Xi Jinping, the Chinese ruler, probably saw he had an opportunity. And it was just not the mass arrests of the 15 figures. It was also um, an assault on Ch uh, Hong Kong's legal structure. So 
this is really bad news. And I think the people in Hong Kong are actually going to have to take a last stand um, against China because this is where, you know, they do or die. I follow a number of somewhat reliable Twitter feeds for dissident videos from China, but it, you always have to take them with a bit of a grain of sand, because, a grain of salt, because I don't know if they're as current as they seem to be. I don't know if the meaning is what they purport. But I do see a lot of videos that look like spontaneous grassroots protests of some sort, people whose rents were hiked, people who were shut out of apartments. I see what looks like a slow-burning discontent on the streets. I don't know, maybe I'm getting a skewed picture. It's so hard to tell. Based on your sources, is there some uh, brewing discontent in the country that's more than usual, or it's just that everybody's on a cell phone camera now, so we see more of it? I actually think that there is more anger right now. First of all, there was white-hot anger uh, about the Communist Party's mishandling of the coronavirus epidemic. People really angry, especially at the death of Dr. Li Wenliang, who was one of the Wuhan 8 on, on February 7th. I mean, we saw that across China's social media platforms. I mean, they started to you know adopt uh, do you hear the people sing, which is that politically impactful anthem um, from Les Miserables. And that's actually the song that people in Hong Kong sang as a protest against China. Hmm. Plus also, Ezra, what makes this, I think, a um, couple things are occurring also. First of all, the virus is subsiding places. So people are now just sort of indulging in recrimination. Plus also the economy is contracting. And so China can't say, well, you know, we ensure the continual delivery of prosperity. So I think people are just, uh, you know, it's, it's a, 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 a several things occurring at the same time, all undermining the legitimacy of the Communist Party. And it's going to be a very stressful time for the party to get through this. Hmm. Let me ask you one last question about uh, China's diplomatic stance. Uh, I see that the Chinese ambassador to Canada is implying that any sort of criticism of the virus as a Chinese emanation, uh, whether by accident or on fault, is a form of racism. And I saw a shocking tweet just in the last day or so by uh, not a diplomat, but a sort of diplomat, an English language propagandist for Global Times, uh, who I think it was him. Or, I mean, there's so I followed too many who uh, invoked the memory of Tiananmen Square. The, he tweeted an image of a nurse in the street standing athwart some American protester who wanted the lockdown to end. And this uh, Chinese spokesman said, this is like the man versus the tank in Tiananmen Square. I thought, I thought it was a shocking tweet that implied this was America's version of Tiananmen Square. This shocking accusation that Canada is racist towards China. I just see an aggressive tone. Is that just designed to please uh, Beijing and make Beijing feel good? Or is this some sort of larger objective strategy to take on America and the world? Yeah, that's a great question. And I don't have the answer to that. Um, and also, you can add to that um, the comments from the uh, Chinese ambassador to France. I mean, they were so awful that he got called in on the carpet uh, by the French foreign ministry. Uh, but this is occurring across the board. I think it's an indication that um, people are trying to curry favor with the hardliners in Beijing. 
And it's a real indication, uh, I think, of actually um, probably infighting at the top of the Communist Party because people are lining up on, on, on sides. So um, that's my guess. But it's really hard to tell, Ezra, because, of course, China is not a transparent political system. And right now, I mean, we get hints of infighting at the top. Um, but I think that when you ever have that stress, um, diplomats go for the default position, which is really the most nationalistic, the most ugly, um, just the most awful. And it's not serving China well, um, but that's just the nature of the system. Hmm. Very interesting. Well, Gordon, we're always grateful when you stop by. I've seen you on so many prestigious channels across America. I've seen you in documentaries recently, and I feel a sense of pride because I know that we've been talking to you on these subjects long before they became so front page. And I wish you good luck and your wisdom is being spread and we hang on your every word. Once again, I want to encourage our viewers to follow you on Twitter at Gordon G. Chang. And good luck, my friend. Keep it up. Oh, well, thank you so much, Ezra. As I said, I really appreciate the opportunity to be on your show. Well, it's nice of you to say standing invitation anytime. Good luck out there. Thanks, Ezra. All right, there you have it, Gordon G. Chang. Very thoughtful and a range of issues. Of course, China is at the center of so many of them. Stay with us. More Head on the Rebel. Welcome back. On my monologue yesterday asking if Dr. Tam is part of China's World Health Organization cover-up, David writes, is Dr. Tam somehow compromised by the Chinese Communist Party? Does she have family in China under threat? Communist regimes for the last century have used this kind of leash to control their functionaries. Well, that's a fair question, I think. Um, as far as I know, Dr. Tam comes from Hong Kong, and I would imagine her family is. So I think they're fairly free there. I mean, China is getting more and more brutal in Hong Kong all the time, but I don't think she's under duress. Um, I think she just has the globalist mindset, and she works for the World Health Organization, which is an enormous conflict of interest. In fact, she's on various oversight committees. So she's hardwired to that thing. She can't renounce it or reject it. It's her. I think that's part of the big problem. Gina writes, Dr. Tam was not encouraging people to wear a mask. If she was, we would not have lost that many lives. Well, and that's the thing. I'm wondering, why did she tell people the obvious fib that masks don't work? I mean, we see masks all over the place. The places that are closest to China wear masks the most. South Korea, Hong Kong, uh, Taiwan, because they don't have any time for politically correct BS. They know masks work. So why would she say they don't work? I have two theories. One is because... Uh, she was obeying the World Health Organization. And I think China wanted to hit the snooze button on the alarm so they could hoover up the world's face masks for themselves. And number two, I think the fact that Justin Trudeau had shipped off our national stockpile of masks so she was covering for him. If she said, yeah, everybody get a mask, and we realized we didn't have masks, people said, Trudeau, why did you give away the masks? It would get her boss in trouble. So I think Theresa Tam is more of a globalist and a Trudeau activist than a public health doctor. I think that's the problem. On our campaign, fightthefines.com, Paul writes, fight the fines may just as well be fight the fascists when you think about it. Well, what's disturbing to me is that police have no guidance here. And so, and they're probably under stress, although there's not a lot of people out on the streets. I, 
I actually don't know how stressful it is to be a cop because a lot of people just are at home in their houses. There are no bars. People aren't going out to the bar, stumbling out into the street drunk at midnight, getting into fisticuffs. There's no dance clubs or nightclubs or places where other young men get into fisticuffs. So in some ways, I think that the stress is reduced for cops. Cops, I guess maybe they're worried about getting the virus, and, and some have. But I think the problem is they don't know what the rules are. And John Tory, for example, the mayor of Toronto, does a press conference saying he wants a lot more arrests and a lot more tickets handed out. Well, that's pressure on the chief, which puts pressure on the beat cops. And they don't even know the rules. They don't know about ticketing people for sitting on a park bench. That's ridiculous. So I think it's a combination of political pressure from bullies like John Tory and other mayors, cops who don't know what they're doing, and some of them have an authoritarian instinct, and I think a general panic. But I think that panic is passing, and now we're just seeing that what we have left is an authoritarian state trying to seep into the cracks. That's what we've got to fight back on. By the way, Got a lot more cases coming from fightthefines.com, and we'll roll those out in a few days. It just takes a few days to process them, have them talk to the lawyers, and then do a video on it. So I expect we'll have a couple more videos this week, and thanks for your help. All right, that's today's show. On behalf of all of us here at Rebel World Headquarters, to you at home, good night, stay healthy, and keep fighting for freedom.